Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 453 for July 26th, 2015. This week, On One's Perfect PhotoSuite 9.5 makes this a great time to be a photographer. And at last, there's a version of Linux that might be right for users who don't have a degree in information technology. In short circuits, Central Ohio is about to get an overlay for the 614 area code, something that's coming to most metro areas. And with the Windows 10 upgrade scheduled to start installing in just a few days, I have the final obligatory pre-release story. In spare parts, only on the website, weather reports are about to become crowdsourced. Does this mean clouds from crowds? If you're dumb enough to read and send text messages while you're driving, now there's an app that can call for help when you're in a crash. And Retail Me Not continues to walk a fine line between serving buyers and serving sellers. These are trying times for professional photographers, but it's a great time to be an amateur. Many years ago, I was a professional photographer. And until a couple of years ago, a good friend of mine was a professional photographer. He closed his studio when he looked at the calendar for the coming year and saw only one wedding scheduled. So the title I gave this piece, This is the Best Time in History for Photography, doesn't mean that this is the best time in history for photographers. Far from it. As my photographer friend said, the price of admission for wedding photography is really low now. Anybody with a camera is free to become a wedding photographer, and it seems that everyone with a camera has done exactly that. A few photographers command $10,000 or more for a wedding, and they're doing just fine photographing the weddings of the 1%. But for photographers such as my friend, not so much. The truth is that most people can't tell the difference between an artist with a camera and the guy that just points the camera and clicks the shutter button. Unfortunately, no small number of professional photographers are also in that second category. So it's a great time for photography, not such a great time for photographers. Computers tend to do that to businesses. Thirty years ago I worked with typographers, but then the computer made it possible for me to typeset my own publications. Except for high-end typography shops, typographers are out of business. The same is largely true for photographers. A few artists, or those who can pose as artists, remain. Enough gloom and doom, though. If you're interested in photography, either as a professional or an amateur, this is an astoundingly great time to be alive, and applications such as On One's Perfect PhotoSuite 9 are one of the reasons that this is so. Perfect PhotoSuite can work as a plug-in for Lightroom and Photoshop, but it also works as a standalone application. The application can generally work with RAW files, too, and will convert them either to TIFF or Photoshop format files to work on them. To ensure that the original files are not modified, Perfect PhotoSuite will create a new layer for any Photoshop files you edit. I had a picture of a big cat at the Wilds, the Columbus Zoo's facility out in eastern Ohio. 
The original image is fine as it is, but I thought a bit of additional contrast and color saturation would help. Check out the result on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And this is the kind of change you can make in literally just a few seconds. I also came back from the wilds with a picture of an armadillo. The day I took the photo was overcast, and as a result, the armadillo's amazing shell lacks detail. I used Perfect Photo Suite's Enhance function to examine several possible modifications. Finally decided that the HDR effect looked like it might be the best choice for that image. And check it out. The little armadillo looks much more interesting. The shell is much more detailed in the second image on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And sometimes an enticing image appears, you grab a camera, click the shutter, and the result is, well, not exactly perfect. One of our cats, Chloe, noticed that I had left my WOSU public media shopping bag on the floor. She thought it would be a great place to sit. Well, the light really wasn't very good on the floor, so when I grabbed the camera and took the picture, the camera selected an ISO of 3200, a shutter speed of 1 13th of a second, and an aperture of f4. The ISO is high enough that some noise is going to be present, and the shutter speed is low enough that I expected some motion blur. My primary concern, though, was that in the background was a Labatt blue carton. Chloe Cat doesn't want people to think that she drinks Canadian beer. Or any beer, for that matter. So I opened the image in Perfect Photo Suite's Layers panel and used the Erase function. Presto, change-o, no beer in the background. Chrominance noise was the next problem that I wanted to address in the image. And this is a point where you really want to check the TechBiter Worldwide website to see the actual images. There are two kinds of possible noise. There's chrominance noise. That's the kind with little bits of color, little color dots here and there. It's really annoying. There's also luminance noise, which can be a little annoying, but it's nowhere near as bad as chrominance noise. So you'll see the image with no noise reduction applied. Then I applied Perfect Photo Suite's maximum noise reduction. That softened the image, but it also removed the noise. We'll take care of the softness in a moment. And then there's the shutter speed. I've always been pretty good at holding a camera steady at slow shutter speeds, but 1 13th of a second is slow, and 61 millimeters is the 35 millimeter film equivalent of about 95 millimeters. So using the standard rule of thumb, the slowest handheld speed should be about 1 100th of a second. In other words, I would expect a bit of motion blur, and there is some in the image. Perfect Photo Suite offers a fix focus function, which is primarily a contrast boost, and it does help that image quite a bit. For the final step, I wanted to blur the background with a bokeh effect. Painting the filter on allows me to specify exactly which areas are in focus and which are out of focus. Because the image was a Photoshop PSD file, the modifications are on a separate layer. The original remains untouched. You'll see the final image on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Is it perfect? Well, no. But as a snapshot, it is substantially improved. Perfect Photo Suite also gives you help with portraits, and you're going to hear more about this feature in a later program after I've had time to work with it more, but it's pretty impressive. The portrait function looks like it'll offer the ability to substantially improve close-up photos of people. Now, it won't grow hair on people who don't have any, but it will brighten the eyes and add contrast. You can retouch wrinkles and such. Also, if the subject's teeth are visible, brightening can be applied to them. 
You'll see three images on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The original image, a close-up showing some work on the eyes, and then the final image. For the eyes, I applied slightly more whitening and contrast boost than I would normally use. I just wanted to make the effect more visible. In real life, I wouldn't do it with quite that much gusto. During my review of Perfect Photo Suite, I used two cameras, a Canon 60D SLR and a Samsung NX500. The On One website states that the SRW RAW format created by the Samsung camera is acceptable, and initially that appeared to be the case. When I opened the images, thumbnails popped up momentarily, but then they went away. Now, of course, users of Adobe Lightroom can choose to open an image from Lightroom in the Perfect Photo Suite, and the same is true for Adobe Camera Raw, so this really isn't a significant problem. You can get the image into Perfect Photo Suite easily enough. I checked with On One support during the review, and the technician I spoke with said that users of cameras that aren't compatible with the current version, even though the Perfect Photo Suite documentation says that they are, should contact the company and arrange for a free upgrade to Perfect Photo Suite 10. It'll be released in the fall. Until then, just open the image in Camera Raw or Lightroom, and then choose to edit it in Perfect Photo Suite. As an alternative, many cameras include software that'll convert the raw image to TIFF, and once you've done that, you can open the TIFF in Perfect Photo Suite. So the bottom line for Perfect Photo Suite 9, which is currently 9.5, by the way, is five cats. It's an outstanding addition to your digital photography toolbox. On One's Perfect Photo Suite can be used as a standalone application, as well as serving as a Photoshop or Lightroom plugin. There are seven applications in the suite for $80. The regular price on the website is shown as $150. It's unclear if the lower price is permanent or a limited-time sale. Each of the individual applications sells for $30, regularly $60. So if you use at least three of the individual applications, buying the suite is the right choice. You'll find additional details on the On One software site. and Check that from the TechBiter Worldwide site. Occasionally, I like to talk about free applications. Many free programs are utilities, small applications that do a single job. FileZilla, the FTP application, for example, or IrfanView, an image viewer. Larger applications include the Chrome and Firefox browsers, Mozilla's Thunderbird email client, and the Calibra eBook manager. But if you want a huge free application, consider Linux. Talking about Linux, during the week in which Microsoft will start upgrading Windows computers to version 10 may seem a little odd. Although I believe that Microsoft has the best and most versatile version of Windows ever built with Windows 10, mistakes, either perceived or real, with Windows 8.1 have even non-geeks interested in finding out what else is out there. What else is out there includes Apple's OS 10. But Apple hardware is considerably more expensive than hardware that runs Windows or Linux. One problem with Linux has been the large number of distributions. IT professionals can figure out which one is right for them, then install it. But just plain users haven't had such an easy task. Even friendly distributions such as Ubuntu usually require considerable effort to make things like sound systems and video hardware fully operational. If only somebody would make a Linux distribution that just installed and worked. 
Well, it seems somebody has. I recently ran across Elementary OS, which is based on the Ubuntu distribution, and I decided to install it on an old notebook computer, one that is not eligible for a Windows 10 upgrade. It's old, and it's not very powerful. Just a dual-core CPU at 2.26 GHz, only 3 GB of RAM. It's a 32-bit system, and 32-bit systems can use only a total of 4 GB. By today's standards, the disk drive is tiny, 250 GB. I downloaded Elementary OS, burned the ISO file to a DVD because it's too big to fit on a CD, booted the old notebook from the DVD, and installed the operating system. The first thing I noticed was that the sound system worked. Then I noticed the mouse worked. The system was able to immediately obtain a Wi-Fi connection, and the screen resolution was correct. These are often the trouble points that cause people who are just trying Linux to run screaming back to Windows. Whether you're a candidate for Linux on a desktop or notebook computer depends on how you use the computer. If you use a computer for email, website browsing, spreadsheets and letters and not much more, go for it. On the other hand, if you depend on specific Microsoft applications or applications that don't have Linux versions, beware. Those who need to work with a Microsoft Exchange server will need to stick with Outlook, and therefore with Windows. Those who depend on Adobe's Creative Cloud applications have two choices, Windows or Apple's OS X. It might be possible to run Creative Cloud on a Linux machine by enabling Wine. Wine stands for Wine is not an emulator. I have never been able to fully recommend that option, though. As with most Linux distributions, Elementary OS includes a software center that makes finding and installing applications easy. After starting the operating system for the first time and allowing the latest operating system updates to install, I visited the software center to install FileZilla, Firefox, Chrome, LastPass, and LibreOffice. Those applications, when combined with applications that come with the operating system, were sufficient for me to have a fully operational computer in less than an hour. And Elementary OS's user interface is a lot more like Apple's OS X than Microsoft's Windows. The Applications tab has two views. One simply shows all applications in alphabetical order. Users who have only a few applications may prefer that method. But once the number of installed applications grows beyond a certain point, perhaps three or four screens worth, you'll probably want to use a category system that's available with a single mouse click. LibreOffice Writer looks and works a lot like an old version of Microsoft Word. This could be a plus for those who don't like the ribbon interface. One worthwhile feature that LibreOffice has added is apparent when the user selects New from the menu. Even if you're in Writer, you're offered the option of creating a new document in any of the LibreOffice programs. In most cases, LibreOffice can read and write files in Microsoft Office format. Problems occur only when one of the Microsoft documents includes advanced features that LibreOffice doesn't understand. Still, in most cases, LibreOffice users will be able to edit a Microsoft document and return it to Office without a problem. The built-in email application with Elementary OS is called Geary. It can handle multiple accounts, but only IMAP accounts. There is no POP option, which seems a little odd. I set up my two primary email accounts, one for TechBiter and one for my personal use, using IMAP, set both collection and transmission to use encrypted connections, and off we went. 
I could also add Gmail, Yahoo, and other email accounts to the program if I wanted to. And Firefox works, of course. Elementary includes a default browser called Midori, and I installed both Firefox and Chrome. I also installed a Linux version of LastPass, my password manager, which installed its add-ons in both Chrome and Firefox, however not in Midori. Midori uses the WebKit rendering engine, which is a fork of KHTML. WebKit is also the rendering engine used by Apple Safari and Google Chrome. The system settings panel looks a lot like the Windows control panel. So if you're looking for something other than Windows and something other than OS X, Linux might be a good choice at this time. And this would be a good distribution to check out. You'll find a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. In short circuits, here's some phony news. Ten-digit phone dialing is becoming the norm. Central Ohio is about to join the growing list of locations where ten-digit phone numbers are required. A new area code, 380, will be added to the area served by 614 as an overlay. Residents of New York, Los Angeles, and other large cities are familiar with the need to dial both the area code and the local phone number. They've done that for years. I'm old enough to remember four-digit phone numbers. Until I was five or six years old, our phone number was 4626. Then it was 24626 for about a year. And then it became Linwood 24626, which quickly gave way to 5924626. All this within just a few years. And then we got an area code, 513. Long after I left town, 513 was reserved for use in and around Cincinnati, and my hometown got a new area code, 937, which means that everybody's phone number changed. So it's with some amusement that I hear comments such as, Oh, what a mess! when people refer to the impending area code overlay in central Ohio and the associated requirement to dial ten digits instead of just seven. And yes, that's Chloe in the background. Big deal! You have to dial three more numbers and your existing phone number stays the same. This is a mess? No, it's just a change. An overlay adds another area code to the same geographic region as an existing area code. Those who have 614 area numbers will keep those numbers. When the process is complete, local calls will require three-digit area codes and the seven-digit phone number. The Public Utilities Commission of Ohio recommends that phone users start dialing the longer numbers as of August 1, 2015, but seven-digit numbers will still work until January 30, 2016. At that time, the full 10-digit numbers are required. No users will be assigned to that new area code, though, until February 27, 2016. The situation, such as the one I described for what happened to my hometown's phone numbers, was once the most common method of adding new numbers, but it required that some users change their phone numbers. Because of this inconvenience, the U.S. Federal Communications Commission and the Canadian Radio-Television Telecommunications Commission established the Overlay Plan. Well, here we go. This is the obligatory final Windows 10 pre-release update. Those who have signed up for the free upgrade to Windows 10 may have noticed some activity on their computers this week as Microsoft started staging the files that will be used to perform the upgrade. 
Users will still have control over when the upgrade is installed, and Microsoft says the process should take about an hour on newer computers, longer on older systems, and all bets are off if you have a slow or unreliable internet connection. Microsoft recently posted a list of the top questions about Windows 10, so if you're still looking for answers, take a look at the Windows 10 Q&A page. There's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. A couple of examples. If I buy a new PC today, can I upgrade it to Windows 10? Well, yes. New qualified PCs can run Windows 10. Windows 10 is designed to be compatible with Windows 8.1 laptop, tablet, or desktop PCs that are on sale right now. Microsoft says device manufacturers make decisions about their device models, and some Windows 10 features might not be available on some devices, so be sure to check with the retailer or the manufacturer for details. How do I get confirmation that I have reserved my upgrade? Just click Reserve in the Get Windows 10 app, and then enter your email address at the confirmation screen. You can also check your reservation status by right-clicking the Get Windows 10 app, or the Windows icon located at the right end of the taskbar. Select check your upgrade status. Lots of other questions answered on that Q&A page. The upgrades themselves will begin on July 29th. And beginning right now in spare parts only on the website, weather reports are about to become crowd-sourced. Does this mean clouds from crowds? And of course the information will be stored in the cloud. If you're dumb enough to read and send text messages while you're driving, now there's an app that can call for help when you're eventually in a crash. And Retail Me Not continues to walk a fine line between serving buyers and serving sellers. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.